Sonic States. Anyway, so everybody, welcome uh, to Sonic Talk number 205. Uh, we are broadcasting and recording live uh, Wednesday, February the 2nd, uh, with uh, the final MP3, which will be uh, the beautifully edited and crafted version, available via iTunes and all good MP3 outlets and uh, on the, new, uh, the Sonic uh, website on Thursday, the 3rd of February 2011. Uh, I want to say, uh, first of all, uh, exciting news because obviously this week we've got um, we've got new technology. I decided I was getting a bit sick of. Uh, although UStream, I'm sure, is a great service for some people, it never seemed to work well with us, and there was all sorts of latency. So I've decided to fire up our own streaming server and our own IRC chat. So everybody in the chat room, I'd uh, love to get some feedback on uh, you know how it's all going and make make sure it's all all right. So hopefully it's cool. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what it's going to cost in terms of bandwidth, but we'll keep an eye on that. So we may have to tweak things. But I just wanted to let you know that it was all different, and uh, you've got a pop out chat room and all that kind of stuff if you want to use it. So so far the feedback is good but thanks to all the chatties um and hopefully there'll be more and also i've modified it so when you join you're a sonic random number rather than just guest so i thought i could personalize it which i thought was sweet if you want to change your nickname using the flash thing i think you click on menu and it just says change nickname and that's it so uh yeah i think Ustream is probably great but um they're probably suffering from the fact that uh, there's too many people using it and so now they've got one less which is us. So anyway, um, hello and welcome to all our guests. Uh, we'll start. Um, we'll start closest this time because we started furthest away last time, and we'll say hello to Gaz Williams, our Bristol-based Welsh uh, record producer and recordist and musician. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, I'm really, really good. Thank you very much. Jolly good. Um, and I, we we got hold of a Samsung Go mic for you to use because uh, I understand your. You wanted to kind of keep the internet set up and your studio set up kind of separate. So how's that working out? Is this what we're listening to at the moment? Yeah, we're listening to the Go Mic, which uh, is brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I deliberately keep my studio computer off the internet. Otherwise, I'd just never get a single stroke of work done. <laughs> ah, it's not it's not a kind of you want to keep the CPU out. It's just the fact that you so you can't check check your email and just quickly. Uh, hopeless net addict so i have to sort of wean myself off somehow so keep it out of the workspace <laughs> excellent and um I, you did send me a very excellent um tune that uh i was gonna i didn't get a chance to ask you whether i could play it or not because I, th- I thought it was just great <laughs> do you mind if i play it this was i thought this was very <laughs> sweet and and really good as well I, you tell you what it's been going through my head for all week so can i do you mind if i play it or uh, or would you rather uh, i didn't well, you can play it. I'll be very embarrassed, though. <laughs> okay, I'm going to play it now. This is um, Gaz got the Samsung game out and then recorded a little tune just to sort of test it. Thank you, Nick, for this microphone. I'm using it here on its own to record guitar and acoustic basses. I'm putting it through its paces. That's a big vocal harmony to check out its clarity. Samsung Go mics a useful tool. Sonic State, you're very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's just awesome. Now, I want, I want, you've got to tell me a couple of things about this, Gaz. How much post-production yeah. did you do on that? Oh, none at all. I just did it sort of in sort of Straight in? It's just wow. with the mic. I just, I just, I, uh, just, just like the, the lyrics are so brilliant as well. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I, I mean, just, you know, considering uh, that I know that it was delivered that morning and then you said about 11 o'clock, oh, thanks, I just sent you a little something. And I was like, what? It only took that long. You're far too that, talented, man. 
No. Uh, I was, uh, I'm just, uh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just really embarrassed. The vocals are so out of tune. Oh, it doesn't matter about that. It's the sentiment and the vibe. The vibe is brilliant, and you oh. know, it, sound, it sounded really good as well. So, uh, and what did you use it? Was that on um, cardioid? Um, just um, kind of close up, or did you do some kind of omni? Because they got figure of eight on it as well, isn't it? That's true. Yeah. Uh, no, I just used, um, yeah, I just used the standard cardioid mode. Mode. Um, uh-huh. I was just sort of seeing how it sounded on acoustic guitar and vocals and it just sort of made sense just to <laughs> well the thing i noticed i mean in this this because to take it to technical side is i didn't notice any sort of horrible eq lumps i mean it's a bit lumpy in the bass but i mean if you did do nothing with it i mean that's kind of pretty impressive sounding well yeah that's i mean that was the that was the point of the little test really just so to, just just flat flat in flat in, yeah. No, wow. yeah yeah yeah, just to, just literally just to see how it sounded. And I mean, you know, when you consider, I guess, you know, that its preamp is in, on board as well, you know, it's a pretty cool little thing. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. notice much noise either. <laughs> Excellent. Good work. Good work there. Thank you very much. And I'm, 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 I'm sure... Uh... I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I hope you get lots of love out. It's a brilliant piece of design, actually, that thing, because what you th- you think it's fantastically well made because of the weight of it, and then you realise all the metal in the base and the, the mic itself is sort of tiny little piece of plastic. But yeah, yeah it's quite it's quite funny, actually. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, well, brilliant. So um, I've. Have I introduced everybody else? I've sort of lost my thread. Anyway, so that was Gaz Williams, uh, songsurgeon.co.uk, because we now have. Um, a URL for him. And um, we've heard a bit of other chit-chat here, so we'll say hello to Dave Spears from g4software.com as well. How are you, Dave? I'm all right, yeah. A bit jaded today, I'm afraid. Jaded? Is that because uh, of uh, workload or party load? Uh, a bit of both. My brother, who lives in Czech, came over last night and brought over some good Czech beers and wine. And by the time we got onto the Slivovich, it was we were beyond redemption, basically. This Czech wine? Would that be Tokai? Uh, no, I can't remember what it's called. It's Bohemia something. <laughs> what colour is it? But it was very nice. Yeah, it was all sorts of colours by the end of the evening. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you had a nice time. It's nice to kick back once in a while, isn't it? I myself went to bed extremely early because I was just completely toasted. I played tennis on, on Monday night for the first time in weeks and felt absolutely, you know, <laughs> like I'd been run over by a steamroller. But anyway... Ooh. So uh, g4software.com for all your G-Force needs. I did ask you about Music Messer. You're not, you're not planning a visit, are you? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, uh, thank you very much for joining us. And um, the next furthest away is, uh, well, of course, Rich Hilton, because we're leaving the country now. And imagine us flying sort of uh, Peter Pan-like over the Atlantic Ocean to the eastern seaboard of the United States, where we're just dropping into the front garden and scaring the wildlife of uh, Mr. Richard Hilton. In Connecticut, how are you, Rich? <laughs> um, I'm very well, except you'd be coming down through a vicious ice storm, and when oh, you not landed, still. On, and when you landed on my front yard, the snow would be chest high. Oh my god, it's unbelievable here. It's just getting the worse winter, and worse. It's been twice, three times a week, all month long, and wow. uh, there's there's these huge ice formations at the edges of everybody's house where the gutters lie, called ice dams, and these enormous ice formations hanging from them in these big, uh, I mean, they go beyond icicles. I took a picture of one yesterday and posted it on Facebook. It's about 10 inches in diameter. Oh, geez. Of solid, wa- of solid ice falling from my roof to the second, to the first landing and then subsequently to the ground. <laughs> so you want to watch out when you're walking under the gables, really, don't you? You don't want to kind of... Isn't there a scene from one of the Exorcist movies where an icicle does it? 
Oh, it might be. I forget now. <laughs> but anyway, watch out, mate. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, we did. We did a clearing yesterday. We had to dig trenches across the front of the house so we could walk the front of the house and clear all the hanging ice from the from the. It's really. I'm telling you. It's. I've never had a winter like this in the. Uh, never an old winter like it. This so. area. Yeah, it's quite something. Wow. Well, um, stay safe and warm. Um, does that affect your ability into uh, to work, or are you okay? You can get in and out. Well, I can work. First of all, I can do a lot of work from here, and I always have the computer uh, at the studio networked here. But, um, yeah, I can get there and back. It's been fine. Uh, uh, things that affected, things that are affecting my work right now that you may have noticed are on Nile Rogers' blog. He is now blogging about it, so it's okay for me to say that he had surgery about a month ago to remove his cancerous prostate and uh, is now been recovering for that month and uh is going through quite a few things so right. there's there's a regular blog at nilerogers.com that he's written about it and uh people are finding it enjoyable and inspiring and entertaining so well i mean obviously it's a hard tough times for everybody i guess i mean it's n- never easy you know for anybody in that sort of situation so all our wishes best wishes go to him of course uh, have yes, you seen thanks. have you seen much of him or is he i guess he's kind of you know out of the loop completely at the moment or are you seeing him I haven't seen him. I've spoken to him a few times. He's in. Uh, he's doing his recovery in New York. Um, uh huh. All right. So, and uh, we've spoken. Okay. He's, you know, uh, he's there's you know about the only people who've seen him are people who cross his path during his morning walks, which are documented thoroughly on his. Blog. <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, he's up and about then. That's kind of something. So. Well, it's part of the recovery. Up. They insist. They insist that you get up and start walking right away. Get out bed and start getting on your yeah i remember um jane's father mm-hmm. who had uh, recent surgery he was forced out of out of bed sharpish um but so yeah. anyway well great i mean you know that's that's good news and i hope uh, the good news continues right through the way through to uh, a triumphant world tour or something of that nature well yeah and i should say also that in the surgery they felt very very good about having uh, eradicated it completely and so confidence is pretty high that when he does get through the various uh, complications that arise from doing this to everybody. And you can look it up if you want to know what those are. Uh, Once he gets over those, things should uh, somewhat normalize again. And he's looking forward to getting back on the road and into music and doing things, you know, projects. And we've got things by, if you look at the Blue Note Japan website, you will see Sheik on it. Uh Well, he probably needs a rest, to be honest. I mean, I imagine, you know, sometimes a bit of enforced uh, infirmary. Um, kind of helps, you know, you just kind of chill out for a bit, because I'm sure... Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's beyond needing a rest. There are certain things that you take for granted that he's got to uh, deal with right now. Yeah, okay. Well, um, let's get into the show. I mean, obviously, uh, this is, uh, what did I say, it's show 205, and um, there's some news. Uh, we're sort of out of the NAM now. I think our final video count was something like 143, uh, so <laughs> that should, if you fancy an evening's viewing... Um, Go crazy because there should be play. We've started to try and do roundups of kind of you know specific product areas just to make it easier for people to uh, to get hold of like say all the modular boutique stuff, all the guitar effects, you know that sort of so they can see it in one playlist, and of course to generate as many page views as possible to pay for all this. But um, 
there is some news outside of that, and that was the first thing that we saw was the Oberheim Four Voice uh, seems to be have been announced, which uh, I imagine, Dave, uh, is that a good thing? It seems like a kind of a massive undertaking. Uh, apparently, uh, I can just read a little about it. Polyphonic voice control programmer section retains all the features, because I'm guessing that's what people are going to be most interested in, because obviously with four individual synth voices, you sort of got to tune them all up and do that sort of thing. Uh, polyphonic Portamenter, what's it got? Two MIDI sync-capable LFOs, two programmable ADSR, selectable master tuning, uh, polyphonic portamento, noise generator, external audio, updated audio output audio module with mix pan and control for each voice. Two uh, four voices can be connected together for eight voices. Got a signature plate. Uh, it's a son of four voices is what it's actually called. Uh, let me see what else. So, um, availability May 2011, price three and a half thousand bucks. That doesn't, act, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but it doesn't seem actually that much does it dave you're the expert you've got the eight voice yeah no i mean we were excited by this i, th- I mean obviously been manufacturing the original you know the sems again so we kind of thought oh, it's only a matter of time before we kind of put some together in a in a keyboard obviously yeah. this hasn't got a keyboard but um no it's quite exciting i mean there are a few things if you look at the pcbs there's a few things that are different but um i think it you know you know my feeling on the sem it's such a beautiful um module and when you chain them all together it's a beautiful instrument and uh, no i really do wish him well i mean i think three and a half thousand bucks is pretty damn reasonable because at one point you were probably looking at paying a thousand bucks for a sem yeah you know for an old one does that change now that they've been making remaking them uh i think it's probably more you know the recession is probably not prices for six a little bit but you know, it depends what you're buying it for. If you're buying it for an investment, well, that's another, that's one thing. But if you're buying it to use it, that's the I thing. Must, that we I must admit, I've never really enjoyed. I've never really had the pleasure of the, of a sem. Whenever I've looked at it, I've seen those kind of uh, inny outing pots which show coarse and fine range, and thought I'd never be able to tune it. So it sounds any good, you know. I've I've always sort of left them alone whenever they've been lying around. But maybe I shouldn't. Um, uh, oh, they are beautiful. My. I'm, in fact, I've been doing videos on virtually every bit of kit that we've got, and once all of these things coincide, we will put them on the site. Aha! Uh-huh. I'll do I've that done, as well. <laughs> I've done one on the eight voice, which is so big that I had to break it into two parts. And my favourite thing of all is just to tune all, put it into unison mode, and tune all the sems to a different note, so you can trigger a chord via one key, and you can just get some outstanding things. I just love it. I think it's, pro- in fact, I even said on the instrument, it's, it is the one instrument that I would risk life and limb for. Right. Can you twice? <laughs> <laughs> Both limbs, all limbs. Can mm. you? Uh, can you track? voices sort of scale them differently over the keyboard so if you played a chord it would actually stay within a key or is that asking too uh, much no you can't no you'd have uh, to do that via something clever wouldn't you yeah in fact what i've done on occasion is say set four sems up as one chord and then another four as the as another chord and then i can actually just use the volumes on each of the um expanders as it were so one on the keyboard that will introduce the first four voices and then one on the expander, which will introduce the second. You've just gone really quiet. Oh, have I? Yeah, I wonder if that's me. Might be me. Yes, I think it was. I've just gone really quiet, Dave. 
Not mm. you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, um, Dave, you're. Uh, I know that you're. You're an Oberheim fan, and you were considering when when they announced the addition, the the, the, re- the reissue of the single voice. You were kind of you were contemplating a purchase. I seem to remember. Me? No, Rich. Rich, yeah. Oh, hi there. Hello. Yeah, you said you said Dave. Oh, I'm did sorry. I? I'm sorry. I'm I'm kind of distracted. Yes, I'm, I was I- contemplating it, and I've still been contemplating it, and. Haven't done it yet, but that doesn't mean I won't. And is this a gorgeous, gorgeous thing for me? Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And 3500 bucks, sure. I mean, given what it sounds like and how great it is, and you can – it's wonderful. I love it. And uh, I love the sound of the thing. And when I uh, I remember my first day at the music store in 1977, they had an Oberheim four-voice there, and I was blown away, fell in love, still in love. Uh, and I, I do hope – I do hope he'll do the analog sequencer from the two voice though. That's what I really want to see. Yeah. Although it's yeah. been pointed out it's been pointed out to me that there's some uh I believe it's a dope for product or something. There's another there's a couple of other analog sequencers that would interface just fine okay. with a pair if you wanted to like homebrew your own. Right. Uh but anyway, gorgeous product. I'll bet it sounds great. Haven't heard the new ones. The old ones sounded absolutely wonderful, magnificent. Full, luscious, creamy, wonderful, brilliant. So I've got nothing but good things. About <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Gaz, yeah. are you are you an Oberheim man? Or because uh, Oberheim's sort of, I, I think probably what it is is people who didn't go to America or <laughs> didn't get to play with <laughs> Oberheims very much because they were very, they were imports, weren't they? Really, in the true sense. Yeah. Um, no, the only time I've ever used one really is uh, Thaipo Sandra. Um, he's got what's he got? Uh, I can't remember what he's got, but. Um, yeah, so no, not really. So, it's, but it seems, I mean, they sound great. I know how they sound. They don't uh, seem to have been modelled either, really, do they? I mean, there's not really much that's been done in terms of, or am I mistaken? Uh, do you want to hear a good story? I don't know. Is it publishable? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay. I mean, do you remember the SOB? Oh, yes, we, of course. Uh, had? We did that. We, we, uh, modelled, we modelled the SEM filters on that and then we heard that tom was going to start redoing the sim ah and actually it was one of the reasons why we kind of shelved it because i really tom's like one of my big 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 heroes in the industry and there was no way that we'd want to step on somebody like that's toes by doing something you know for a hundred bucks when the chances are he was going to be doing you know the individual sims for kind of six or seven hundred so that was kind of one of the reasons that we just thought "Mm, we'll leave it yeah let's just shelve it for the minute and uh, see see what happens. We right. may, you know, may introduce it in another form at some point. But ah, uh, okay, no, yes, yeah, because I'd forgotten about the SOB. You, you were going to do? Were you doing an eight voice or something? Or you know, it was going to be polyphonic, right? I yeah, we remember. had the OB8 filters and uh, some of the expander type filters, and then also the SEM stuff. And we were kind of we were really trying to bring it all under kind of one hood. Um, but, I mean, it was a pretty ambitious project. In fact, it was incredibly ambitious. And the, but the same stuff was sounding fantastic, and we were like, uh, let's just leave it for the minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got the idea of just hanging on to things, as you probably gathered. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as, I mean, as, one, as you want. There's one really good thing about this um, Son of Four Voice, is that I have to say on the, four vo- you know, on the eight voice that we've got, the keyboard action isn't brilliant. It's not, I don't feel, it's nothing like as beautiful to play as a sort of mini Moog. It's a very different experience. And actually the ability to, and also there are no things like, you know, pitch bend is a knob 
it's not a dedicated pitch wheel or anything like that. So actually the idea of being able to interface a controller keyboard with all of those kind of things and a nice playing action and all the rest of it with the four voice, with the new four voice is something that's actually really appealing. We'll all have one. Maybe he'll send us all one if we say nice things about it, eh? Or maybe we'll just have a voice each. Um, I've, I do, yeah, no, anyway, but I do, I do really uh, wish him very well. It's always good to see kind of stuff reissued like that that's kind of... Uh, do you think that they should make improvements, though? I mean, do you think it's kind of... You should actually go, well, let's start with it being as it was and then kind of tweak it and give it a little bit of extra kind of oomph from today's technology, or do you think they should keep it pretty much as is? Keep it. Keep it. Okay. Just wonder. Yeah. I just wonder what people's thoughts were on that. Um, okay. Right. Um, oh, this. I like this. Uh, well, let's no. Let's move on to some actual um, gear. Because uh, Gaz, you've basically uh, you said you sent me an email saying that you had uh, the Sonus B two M, which is uh, I, I don't know if anyone ever saw. I, I reviewed. Here we go. It's, I'll hold it up. The Sonus G2M, which is kind of pitch to MIDI for guitar, and they've released one which is the B2M, which is the bass to MIDI. And you're a bass player. How? Uh, what? What possessed you to purchase it first of all, and, and how did you get on? Right. Well, was it, um, was it after last week? No bass lines. You, thought you need to start playing some <laughs> flute samples. Oh, <laughs> uh, I wonder. Maybe it was something influenced by that. Um, I, yeah, I, it's been something I've always been interested in when I found out about it and you know, cause they are very affordable. I mean, I think I paid about 75 pounds for it. Yeah. They um, are very, very kind of low cost, don't they? Yeah. But reading on the base forums was just no end of sort of, uh, negative comments about it, about sort of just, uh, how it doesn't track very well and how people would, you know, would never use it live and things like this. And, and so I, I kind of did go into it knowing that this was going to, that it wasn't going to be sort of, uh, necessarily like the most easy thing to use but i was also kind of thinking that a lot of these people probably don't really understand its limitations and i think it's one of these things if you kind of learn its foibles you know you can actually get you know quite good results out of it so when i first got it well my plan was to run it was to um oh i'm constructing this really kind of complex kind of bass uh, rig at the moment which is um i've got an electroharmonics hog which is like a poly octave generator uh, and I run that through sort of a, a line six pod thing to get like a, so it sounds like there's a guitar playing in unison with uh, uh, okay right with the bass, and I also run it out then through. Well, my plan was to run the bass out through the uh, the mofo, so it's sort of like a big fat synth sound as well. So so just like the single bass then just sounds like this just monster instrument. Um, <laughs> no room for anyone else. Get off! This is my audio yeah. spectrum. <laughs> Well, I'm actually trying to do this to play on a Joni Mitchell tribute night, which is um, okay. something going to happen in Bristol soon, uh, which is a really silly idea of mine, um, uh, just to subvert one of her songs. Um, so I got the thing and I plugged it into the mofo and I had really terrible time with it. It was really, oh, I just, it was almost impossible to kind of play uh, anything meaningful on it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, oh and, uh, yeah. I was like thinking, oh gosh, because you know I, I love the idea of it, the format of it, and everything. I thought it was brilliant, but um, so, and I think this is partly a little bit of the problem with something like the Mofo, which has got a lot of kind of power and functionality, but it's embedded in sort of menus, and 
unless you're using like the computer editor, you know, it's yeah. quite an awkward, awkward little thing to sort of program. So then I, I plugged it into my Roland Gaia and it was unbelievably better. I mean, it really? triggered, yeah, it triggered so much better. And I was wondering why, why that was. I don't know if anyone could actually help me there, but, um, but the triggering was better. It was much more accurate. And, uh, and of course, the great thing about the Gaia um, is that it's, you know, everything is laid out in front of you. So it's very, very easy just to tailor things, the uh, envelopes and sort of certainly the filter envelopes and just kind of just getting that. So you can really kind of get a nice kind of feel with it by, by being able to sort of just straight away hands on. And I also discovered by triggering the Gaia sound. I, I found that the actual synth engine was actually much better than I'd originally sort of uh, kind of um, assumed it to be because it just, you know, I don't know, maybe because bass is more my thing. I was actually kind of, you know, uh, interfacing with the with the guy in a way that was, uh, you know. It was sort of different, right? Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and I thought it was actually excellent. Just one so. question: the triggering. I mean, because you know, when you play, people sort of put octave, sub octaves on basses, but then the yeah. idea is you play it further up the neck, right? Because then you get a thicker sound rather than something yeah. that's way below. And also, yeah. if you play further up the note, the neck, then the trigger time will be faster because it's a, it's a sort of physics limitation of the trigger time for a bass. Because obviously, if you're playing a low E or a low B, if you've got that on your bass the thing's going to have to take, you know, however many cycles to work out what the note is, right? That's true, yeah. Um, uh, although I think they've obviously tweaked the algorithms, however, the pitch detection algorithms quite well, because it does trigger very well in the low, right down low. Uh, so, But it was down to the actual synth you plugged it into. That's really weird. It does yeah. output, but the thing is it does output a hell of a lot of data, doesn't it? It's got pitch bend all the time. It's continuously outputting pitch bend in positive or negative amounts, isn't it? Because it, yeah. it, it, it kind of takes the root note and then that's why you can do slides and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I... Uh, yeah, so a bit, bit, I was a bit mystified by that, but I mean, it really gave me a different, um, uh, you know, I actually started thinking, wow, this is brilliant. And um, and also once I, once I started playing with the effects that were on board of the Gaia as well, so I was getting some really, really great sounds. Um, so I made a little MP3, which I Ooh, sent yes. you. Can I play a bit? Yes, if you could. It's, uh, Let's it, have a listen. I just, Let's have yeah. a quick listen. I have my bass plugged into the B2M and then the MIDI out of the B2M is going into my Roland Gaia. So I can play a few lines and we can see how well it tracks with the Gaia. I'm just using its initial sawtooth wave. As you can hear there's definitely a little bit of latency i've just measured this latency and it's about 50 milliseconds or 2205 samples to be accurate uh, which obviously is quite a lot so you do have to sort of take this into account when you're playing it i'm going to play something faster with a bit more complexity just to sort of demonstrate just where the b2m just can't follow <laughs> fair to it it actually followed the sweet picking quite well however if we play like a finger style uh, and try and sort of kind of play quite groovily then it definitely has problems
can see there that it struggles with the finger style, so I definitely recommend using a plectrum with it. So it sounded like the, the first example you played sounded quite impressive in terms of you know tracking you know it's consistent. But I guess it, you know, I mean, to to expect it to kind of follow really sensitive. I mean, can you modify your playing style much to kind of? I, you have to, right? Yeah, because it was having trouble with the octave, wasn't it, on a lot of those? I think, yeah, you you really do have to sort of play certain styles. I mean, you know, when I was playing like a kind of finger style in the in the example there, you know, the, it just doesn't follow that very well. So I guess there's a lot to do. I suppose plectrum is just by its nature is much more of a kind of monophonic attack, really, uh, rather than like the two fingers kind of thing. But, um, you know, I think, yeah, it's all to do with the dampening and stuff. And, you know, last night when I was playing around with it, I was really kind of connecting with it in a way. And I was thinking... You know, I, I played, it was the first time I really played for sort of a decent length of time with it. And um, and after a while, I think, you know, we start to be able to sort of predict the latency once you, you know, once you play it for a while. So once you can predict the latency, you can then start to sort of make it feel right. And the feel is, you know, with bass, it's just so cr- crucial. I yeah, mean, yeah, the, yeah. Last, the last example, I just tried to play like a, like a kind of like a synth sort of bass line sort of thing. And... It's weird because when it doesn't quite react the way you want it to, it sounds like your plane is not quite in the pocket, and that's really yeah, frustrating. That's not, that's not what you, you know. want, is it? Really? <laughs> no. So, but you know, I think you know what I would say for people who are interested is um, you know to be very aware of its shortcomings, but also that you know if you do kind of you know modify your playing to to take into that. Uh, it's it's probably going to be as good as you know anything else. I mean, there is one other thing: is it's industrial radio MIDI bass. Um, Steve from Bully in the chat room says that uh, it, it it works pretty, but that's like an expensive sort of bespoke mm. instrument. I think that uses yeah. all sorts of, I'm not quite sure, all sorts of other technology. But I mean, compared to most other bass synth bass trackers, I mean, you just you know, it's much of a muchness. You're going to get it, aren't you? Really. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, again, you know, so we are talking like £75. Yeah, so sure as opposed to two grand or whatever, yeah. the, 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 the yeah. MIDI basses, yeah. I, uh, I know, I, uh, just as a general point about latency, I mean, Rich, um, obviously, you know, with, with various real-time instruments like MIDI, what have you, there is latency there. Do you uh, do you find that becomes an issue for you with certain configurations or are you kind of, is it built in, your, your uh, kind of compensation? Well... Uh, you're, if you're asking me if it's easy to play 60 milliseconds against the po- uh, ahead of the pocket in a consistent basis, the answer is no. Six, not 60, um, perhaps, but you know we know that MIDI 40, is in 20. Tr- I don't care if, if if 40, 20 doesn't matter. In other words, playing consistently out of the pocket in the pocket is hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so and I think it, now the way I understand it, and if the nature of technology has changed since this understanding was cemented in my elderly consciousness somebody please wake me up but the way i understand it is any pitch to midi conversion requires half a wavelength from which it can derive pitch there is no way around that as far as i understand it and therefore the lower the pitch the longer the wavelength and the longer the the latency will be and right. if i understand so given that theory i agree with what both of you said which is this thing probably does it as well as it's going to be done. Hmm. 
But right. until you wire the fretboard, there's no way to get it quicker than that, especially when you get down in the lower. I mean, not especially, but you'll notice it more the lower the frequencies because the half a wavelength is, you know, half a, half a, wavelength. a couple of yards that, what, long. Why the, 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 the fretboard as in so you get the resistance between one hand and the other and you can measure it that way. So it's, it's instant. Is that what you... Is the, that pitch, what you the pitch is detected at the surface of the fretboard rather than beyond the pickup. Uh, okay, okay, right, right. So right. you're not doing pitch analysis post-pickup. Pardon me. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Everybody wipe your headphones off now. Um, you're not doing analysis after the pickup. You're doing you're, – it's, it's coming off the, – the pitch is coming – the pitch detection is coming from the fretboard. And if I understand Steve from Berlin's conversation about this uh, other guitar that would be uh, – That's the industrial mini radio uh, MIDI, MIDI bass, bass, yeah. Yeah, that's got a wired fretboard, which is really the only way to get that kind of instantaneous response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my feeling is uh, – you know, I wanted to use it in a really kind of funky kind of way, and I don't think I could particularly do that. However, I think if I learned to play, uh, I think if I was doing like kind of textural stuff, right. then it's, it's great. I noticed actually, to be honest, one of the things that made it a lot more enjoyable was taking a little bit of attack off the sort of filter, uh, off the uh, amplitude envelope. So, you know, so you can't, so you're the, not so conscious of the, the thwack thwack, you know, the double hit. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and right. then, you know, and, and then that, you know, and sort of, and then it become quite expressive and you could sort of feel, you know, cause obviously the, uh, the, the soft attack then sort of minimizes the latency issue, uh, you know, and you know, and that's great. You know, and that that was, that that side of things was a lot of fun. But you know, I think what what Richard's saying is is bang on. And I think you know, for the kind of super timing type stuff, this is a no no. Right. Well, it's worth bad. knowing. I've got a MIDI bass. I've got a PV MIDI bass. Oh, that is. Oh, wow. Way better than that. <laughs> Way. Well, it's probably the same technology because there wasn't that PV MIDI bass kind of an old, quite an old model. It wasn't something that was released, you know, this in the last this this decade. No, so I think it was sort of mid nineties. Right. Don't forget, I spent yeah. six years of my life editing MIDI data from controllers, and we tried everything: the Axiom, you know, the Roland GI stuff. We had a Step guitar, Synthax, all sorts of stuff, and it was hell in terms of editing. <laughs> right. <laughs> What did you learn at the end of the day? I mean, about, about it again. the differences between them. No, but about I the lo- differences between them. <laughs> Actually, weirdly enough, if a module had onboard sounds, then the tracking was nowhere near as clean as something like... The Axiom, for me, was probably the best one out of, you know, the kind of domestic stuff. We had the GI-10 and... Uh, trying to think what the other Roland we had was. One had a load of onboard sounds, and that was very sluggish in comparison to just the GI-10, which could dedicate kind of all its resources to to tracking. It was quite a fascinating thing. I mean, the one thing I learned Mm -hmm. about it is you can't beat a clean, accurate player. Yeah, right. And also There's the other a lot thing of... is you've got to set oh, you've got to set your synth module to plus twelve and minus twelve pitch bend range, otherwise it can sound horrible. I see. Okay. If you they do rec- slides they recommend, and stuff like that. Yeah, they recommend with a B2M to uh, restrict the pitch bend to just two semitones um, mm. for that particular thing. Yeah. Uh, there is actually a toggle switch on the B2M. In fact, it's the only control on it which can turn it into a chromatic mode, which disables the uh, pitch bend altogether. 
so more like the ah, piano so it'd be more, more like an auto-tune experience <laughs> bass, bass auto-tune <laughs> anyway we better uh, say hello to our sponsors quickly because we're we're more than three we're more than halfway through the show and i've been very um well i've just I've just been lax. I want to say thank you very much uh, once again to Yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show. Um, they've got a new message for us this week. Uh, they'd like to talk about mixers. Uh, even though, obviously, a lot of us are now mixing in the box, there are places where a hardware mixer is essential. Lots of Yamaha different mixers for lots of different applications. There's obviously their reliable analog mixers uh, for sub-mixing, for some maybe keyboard sub-mixers, power mixers for performance, large-frame analog mixers for front of house, and then through to the industry range of digital mixers. I mean, I'm using a digital mixer here, in fact. It's the DM1000, which uh, seems to be driving the podcast well with all the feeds and delays uh, that I need for that. Um, they want to, to bring your attention to the MG series. There are 12 different modules from 8 channel to 32 channel. They also contain handy features such as single knob compressor, which can help to tighten up sound and rehearsals or recording. Uh, Yamaha effects processing can also reduce the load on a host computer. Several of the MG mixers also contain integrated USB ports, which take 44.1 kilohertz digital audio in and out, so they're good for maybe recording a gig or rehearsal. USB models even come with Cubase AI5, in case you're knowing. Uh, if you're in the UK, check out by going to a Pulse store. Details on yamahadownload.com and uh, check out the construction quality and pass some audio through and listen to them or go to Yamaha Pro Audio where there's the full range of audio mixers. Um, so once again we thank Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show and we also want, I'd like to uh, send a, a little personal thank you to Peter Peck who's been our man at Yamaha for some time he's uh, moving uh, sideways to he's moving out to Berlin to work with a certain software company soon so um, uh, I hope that uh, he has a great new move, and we continue to see him in his new role. But thank you very much. So YamahaDownload.com, YamahaProAudio.com too. Uh, check him out. Um, I, I guess he's leaving Yamaha. Uh, well, he's moving. Yeah, he's going to Steinberg. I mean, it's, it's been it's out in the press, so it's not. Uh, yes, so he's going to Steinberg as uh, head of European sales. So you have an, I, wow. Hamburg's a great city. I hope he has a lovely time there. Excellent end of an era. Yes, it's somewhat, somewhat. Um, what should we have next then? Um, well, I, I suppose, well, now what's the time? Let's think. Well, we've got a couple of... One thing I would like to say is obviously, you know, the sad, sad news that John Barry uh, died after a long illness. And uh, he's uh, he died, well, um, early, not long ago, a few, merely a few days ago. Born in 1993, 1933, he was uh, born in York uh, and he found famous leader as the John Barry Seven. Obviously, he scored umpteen Bond movies, uh, including Diamonds of Forever, Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, uh, five Oscars, BAFTA Fellowship in 2005. Uh, last film that he scored was uh, 2001 war th thriller Enigma. And uh, I just wondered whether, you know, first of all, obviously, uh, it'd be great to... My, my favourite piece of... Um, my favourite piece of, uh, of John Barry's Bond work was the 007 uh, theme tune, uh, sorry, no, the 007 and counting from Diamonds Are Forever. I'll just play a little bit of that. Hopefully I'll have got the routing right so everybody will have uh, will be able to hear it. But it's beautiful. It's almost Jack Brell-like, I would say. But...
I think I'll play a little bit more of that out in the outro because it's just such a gorgeous and sumptuous piece of music. I mean, his uh, understanding of orchestration and putting voices together is, you know... I mean, in fact, if you listen to the first kind of, well, any Goldfrap album, you'll hear the influence of John Barry in there somewhere with some just such Mm. superb orchestration. It's kind of really... It's really hard to sort of imagine um, a Bond film without that sound. It's such a, but but yes, rest. You know, I don't. I wondered if anybody had any other favourite John Barry moments to sort of bring the tone up a little bit, rather than just sort of be a bit morose about his death, but celebrate his work, perhaps. Oh, well, man. I mean, loads. Yeah, <laughs> go, guys, go all on. of it. Okay, I was going to say, you know, just the the brightest one of the most brightest, chirpiest tunes in his catalogue, I guess, is uh, Florida Fantasy from. Uh, Midnight Cowboy soundtrack. Um, do, 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 do. <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant. It's really, really. Uh, that was John Barry, wasn't it? I think. Yes, he did uh, Midnight um, Cowboy, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Is that, is that what you said? Yeah, 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 yeah. But the Florida Fantasy, which is the the, the piece which uh, when they sort of just arriving to Florida on the bus, um, it was used uh, in Wild Track in the UK for years. I think that's probably why I like it. It's a, a children's TV theme tune. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, wow, what what amazing, amazing stuff, you know, sort of. Um, it's French horns know, for uh, me, French horns and strings. <laughs> French horns, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a Majesty's Secret Service, you know, yeah. Um, that's just such a striking, stirring kind of tune. Did he do it? the orchestration for the Louis Armstrong All the Time in the World as well? Because I that was that so. was the final. That was the yeah. the end, wasn't it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is that alone would be enough to die happy, kind of knowing that you've done work of that quality. I think, but you know, just there's just so so much of it. So there was much. an interview with there was an interview with Don Black, his uh, lyricist who sort of wrote the lyrics for those classic songs, "Diamonds Are Forever" and various other ones, um, on the radio the other day, and uh, and they were saying though that with John Barry he was absolutely meticulous. He would you know before you know he would really kind of you know agonize for weeks over scores you know so he was you know he was very very particular about things which well you know what stands to reason really when when you hear it i guess yeah well it makes i mean that's that's what makes you kind of stick out from the rest of the crowd i mean you can you can go so far on just sort of instinct but you need i guess to be as mm. as big and famous and, and and as well respected as him to have uh, have more besides and um rich hilton have you are you going to tell us you've worked with him or uh, or just just an admirer just an admirer never met the man uh not even as familiar as the rest of you with most of his work but i can relate a quick anecdote and that is that uh, Bernard Edwards spoke highly of him. Uh, they worked together apparently on A View to a Kill. Oh, okay. Which would have been a song that I think Bernard produced for Duran Duran. Well, unfortunately, Mark's not yeah. here. He might know. But uh, but um, Bernard said very nice things about him. And uh, I know he's got a magnificent career and the things I've heard are you know, absolutely signature kind of identifiable, wonderful stuff. So I suppose that's it. The sort of the, uh, the signature aspect of it, isn't it? That's what's so impressive and just being so, it's so obvious, but in a good yeah. way, you know, it's that, ah, oh, you know, it's very, I, I don't know. I, I mean, for me, cause it, it sort of spans my entire movie going, you know, and bond, bond, view from bond film watching thing. Somebody's, somebody's phone going off. Sounds like a Nokia ringtone to me. 
It's not me. Is oh, it? I see. I thought it was. I thought it was Dave's wife's vocoder. Sorry, me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that, that that Gaz, being such a creative fellow, you've got the <laughs> standard Nokia ringtone there. Shame on you. Yeah, I I got to apologise there. I don't. I have not got the Nokia ringtone on my phone, so I don't know why suddenly it was. Uh, I'll tell you what that is. Nokia. Sometimes when you're messing around with your phone right at the beginning, you kind of assign yeah. a ringtone to a contact. It'll oh. it'll be that person who rung you up. <laughs> yeah, because I can't I cannot stand that tune. So I was there being smug, thinking, "Ah, oh, someone's got." It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, sorry, that's sorry, no problem. Sorry, sorry. Um, but yes, John Barry. Um, you know, may his uh, well will be humming and enjoying his music for time immemorial. I've, I've, yes, I've got to tell you a couple of stories. Oh, please. So when when I was touring years and years ago. Um, it was what I've got virtually every album that John Barry ever did, right from the early EMI stuff, right through to this kind of more um, cinematic stuff. And it was my favorite thing whenever I got to a strange city to go out and just walk with him on the headphones. And it was just brilliant. I put the Ipcrest file on ah. when I was in Bucharest in like the early 90s. So it was just in that kind of transitional phase post Ceausescu, but still a communist regime. And it was just, it just captured the spirit of that city just perfectly. And also like when we took, uh, we took um, an intern we had to Nam for the first time. So the whole LA experience was pretty epic for him. And uh, when you drive down, I think it's the 405, you get to that massive um, oil refinery. Oh, I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah. When you drive past that. And just before we got there, I said, right, shut up. And I put, um, oh, God, what was the track? You Only Live Twice on full blast in the car. And I think it blew this lad's mind, just the <laughs> epicness of everything. It's brilliant. But it worked no matter which city you were in. If you put anything of his on the headphones, you know, I'd walk around Sheffield and it would just transform the kind of cityscape. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant experience. I'd <laughs> recommend it to anyone. I, I think we'll have to try that, actually. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, that sounds like a top tip. Possibly the finest piece of advice that uh, <laughs> that that you'll get from from this show, perhaps <laughs> this week. Let's say, I don't think that's would be true, but yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Do it; it's brilliant. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, we should really do the uh, the beatboxers thing. Um, this was the uh, the boss loop bossloop dot com. Um, I thought this was great. I'm see if I, I did do some edits. Uh, I'll put that in the chat room. I'll play a bit of audio because I've got some. Uh, let me see. Uh, loopers, I think they are. Yes. Here they come. My name is uh, Shlomo. Shlomo. I'll stop it there, um, but th- there's a whole bunch of people who were, in fact, um, 
uh, involved in that. It was that basically they they did a whole bunch of different uh, competitions. They regional, so you got uh, UK, US, uh, Japan. The first one there was Shlomo. He's from he won the UK heat and also the world, and uh, I mean, that was only a small section of it. I mean, it's, his thing's kind of much more about performance. Really, quite um, really, really quite impressive, actually. I have to say, and I don't know what it is. I mean, this this. DubFX was also um, judging this. DubFX is the guy who does the Roland Looper demos, and he is one of the most impressive kind of stream of consciousness creative people I've ever seen, you know, on any instrument ever. But it it kind of um, sort of introduced the idea of this idea of being so close to the idea. Sorry, that sounds like a load of gobbledygook. The idea of being so close to the source of the... The, the kind of the melody or the, the 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 inspiration that it's out there and straight away there's just so little gap between what you're doing and the, the audience hearing it i don't think it's I, I don't is there any other is there anything like that i mean i guess improvised singing is about as close as you can get but in terms of this it's like a a very rare breed of people who seem to be able to work with loopers and uh, and there's it's a growing band obviously because um boss of roland uh, make them and they've they they introduced this sort of large uh, international competition. I think the final was held 14th of January at the House of Blues in Anaheim, which I, unfortunately I couldn't get to because we had so much stuff to do. But that would have been. I wish. I wish we had gone. In fact, um, Dave, um, I, I know. Um, have you seen any of these guys before? I mean, any of this stuff does it do anything for you, or can you under, can you understand where they're coming from? Ever tried it? It's funny. Well, I tried um, a very similar thing with uh, Carl from Underworld on the. You remember the old DJ Seventy? because that had a kind of sampling facility but there was no kind of overdub and that's what we were trying to do you know sort of chaining up a couple of those these guys were amazing and in fact they were all amazing that slow-mo thing i thought the the end just blew my mind actually when he was just pounding away at this thing yeah glitching and going mad and that other uh was it phil stendek the guy who was playing drums and keyboards and a bit of guitar and bass and stuff like that i mean it's phenomenal really isn't it yeah it's real seat of the pants stuff i, I know it. and the thing is is you could hear them when they were set them up and you think oh that's a bit out of time and it's weird because you compensate you just don't notice it anymore you know there's yeah. there's quite a lot of forgiving in the in the fact that it works it's i just think it's i just very it's very impressive in the you know it's katie, katie tunstall was probably the last big um star to kind of get long way with that there have been various other people since then haven't they but they haven't kind of made it as big i mean that's how she started out um with a sort of acoustic guitar looper and building up back was that was her first that was her first one wasn't it her first yeah. hit her first single was a kind of loop built up thing i forget what it was called now well she appeared didn't she she appeared on uh jules holland didn't she and she did that sort of uh the, the, the horse and cherry tree or something black horse and cherry tree and and she did it with a looper and stuff and i think that that was the you know, that was an amazing thing for people because they'd not actually sort of seen a looper, someone doing like a live looper performance. So I really think it was a major part of her kind of initial success, wasn't it? That that single performance on Jules Holland. Well, yeah, I'm not sure it was. I'm sure it was. Mm. I don't know. I, I know, Rich, you have a slightly less um, um, romantic view of uh, of this kind of thing, but uh, perhaps you'd like to share that with us. Do you, do you think that... Do you think that the voice is is the most direct approach, or do you think it can be no. achieved with? Well, no? it might, it might be, but I don't think that because it's expressed vocally that that means it's closer to the source of the inspiration. 
Okay. That's the part of the premise. You say bollocks, down. actually, in the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it just doesn't make sense to me. In other words, okay. some people express themselves brilliantly through violin better than you or I would with our voices. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yep. You know Good what I'm point. saying? So, so it's not really down to what you're doing as ter- in terms of which instrument you're expressing through. That said, I watched a bunch of these guys on these looping videos. And only a few of them, I thought, were really good. And yeah, I know well, these that's the that, me too. Yeah, me too. And and actually, the guy who won it all was not the best of them by far, um, which I thought was interesting because it showed a bias in my view in the judging based on the fact that they had chosen big name, whatever his name is, DJ guy, who obviously is coming from a particular kind of stylistic basis. So for him, the most compelling thing was the guy with the mic going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas for me, the most compelling guys were the guys who played 15 different instruments, all of them well and in time and in tune. Yeah, that the uh, massive arrangement. Simone Vinola from Italy. He was really. I he was, was very good. Really the two good. guys who, the two guys who won from the United States. I hate to say it, were fantastic. And uh, and there were a few. The, the the lady in Japan was pretty good. And uh, th- there was a special category in Japan. That guy did everything with his mouth, and that was good. And. Uh, I don't know. I got through about ten of them, or most of them. Yeah, yeah. Them. Oh, but but uh, but but do you think? I mean, because like when you there's a thing about you know when you're playing an instrument, there's something between kind of you know this is this is going to sound like bollocks. There's something between kind of your 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 soul, if you like, or the the kind of the the the, the source and who's listening. It's like that thing when you know I'll play something for you. If it's on guitar, there's a sort of it's almost like a mask. You know, there's something between you and and you uh, and them whereas okay. when, you're, when you're using your voice it's just right out there there's nothing that can can mask anything that's i think that's what i meant more so perhaps all right well here's a distinction i can draw in certain sound production styles you are the vibrating mechanism and among those is singing yep it's also also playing uh brass instruments you are the vibration um then in other pursuits, you are in contact physically with the vibration, and that would include violin, guitar, um, uh, saxophone, uh, things like that, where you're actually physically contacting the vibrating thing, but you are not the vibrating thing. And then the last category is you're a machine operator, and that's piano players, synthesists, uh, guys who operate machines that then generate a sound. Right. Okay. And so those that's a valid distinction to me, those three things. And if you want to try to make the case that when you're the vibration, that you're therefore closer to the source of your inspiration than when you're in contact with the vibration, say as a guitarist or a violinist, or when you're operating a machine, like when I press down keys on the TS-12 behind me or in a piano, then that's a distinction I can sort of understand that you, that means a lot to you, but I'm still not, I mean, as much as I love to sing and as much as I kind of get where you're coming from, I'm still not sure it's true. Hmm. Can I jump in? Yes, um, please do. Yeah, please. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, this whole kind of looping thing. I mean, uh, I did, I started getting a little bit bored of seeing people doing it live where they were just build up layers and layers and layers and, and the tune would sort of just start off. Yeah. It'd be like uh, a two bar loop. Yeah. Yeah, and then and they would just kind of create layers and layers and layers, and then and until they couldn't go any further with it. And I was thinking, hmm. But then I saw a guy called Peter Broderick, and he was doing like a solo a solo spot, and uh, he um, uh, oops, sorry, that was me again. <laughs> uh, 
he managed to integrate the looping into his live performance in such a um sorry someone's trying to call me on skype i'm declining and they keep ringing back um he, he'd integrate the looping into his performance um sorry <laughs> let me just decline that again um and he'd do it in, in, in such a way that you wouldn't actually necessarily be aware that there was loops going on. Right. And he'd sort of like play little pieces and then he'd start looping them and he'd start performing. He'd take the loop out, do something else, bring another loop in. And it was just brilliant because it was just very, very musical. And he was, he was doing it in a way where it wasn't sort of like consciously sort of here's a loop thing going on. It was just sort of, you know, he was just performing songs. So he was using it as an extension of his uh, musicianship. And, I, I, and that was just absolutely terrific. But the thing that he did, which was amazing, was everybody at the end of this one song, everybody was so blown away that you were cheering and clapping. Well, he turned the microphone on the, on the cheering and he put the cheering into a new loop and he started his new song by using just a, a portion of the cheering as this part of this loop. Oh, wow, uh, that's that's impressive. <laughs> oh, good trick, anyway, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. I, but, I mean, again, it was just it was just incredibly musically done, and uh, I, I was highly impressed. I thought it was wonderful. What was the so, name of the guy again? Yeah, Peter Broderick. Peter Broad... I'm going to put it in the chat room, just so it's a... Broderick. Yeah, he, he was in the uh, After Clang for a bit, I think, the Danish band, but I think he's an American oh, guy. I love them. Yeah. Mm. I don't think, I, it just seems like, I suppose the other thing about using your voice only is, I mean, while, you know, to be of the level of these guys, you would have to be a virtuoso within your field. There's a lot you can do with your voice without having to be able to master an instrument. So, you know, to, to be able to express yourself without the limitations of technique is sort of easier with your voice. I mean, you can be wrong, you can be a bit off, but with a piano or something else, it can sound bloody awful. Whereas with a voice, it can be close enough to kind of get the whole thing across, I suppose. I don't know. Anyway, it, 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 I just found there's something that really kind of, I kind of latch onto with that stuff that I find really, really impressive about it, I suppose. But uh, I mean, and also the ability to work the technology so seamlessly with that performance and for it to be built into the workflow without it getting in the way. I mean, there were a couple of videos that you saw there where things went wrong and it didn't kind of work that well. But I mean, I'm guessing that's down to the design of the stuff and boss seemed to be, well, the boss of, uh, of, of the looping stuff. Although there are, that's by no means the only people who make looping things. They seem to be the ones who are kind of, you know, if you ever see people in the street with doing looping stuff, it's the boss stuff that they generally have. I've never really played with a looper though. I just, I, I, I'm kind of, terrified at getting the time you know if you get the wrong that the thing wrong then your starting point screwed so that must take quite a lot of skill i mean rich that's uh, sorry dave i mean dr in terms of drumming is that uh, have you had to do any of that stuff have you, you know get actually retry and make sure you trigger the points properly no no i haven't really done an awful lot of that but i know exactly what you mean it's that's kind of seamless element the fact that you it's it just flows that's kind of what impressed me more than anything else it's weird though a lot of you know some a lot of the vocal stuff i was kind of thinking well yeah it's kind of a bit bobby mcferrin like okay it was a bit more modern and contemporary and some of the guitar stuff i mean you know people like john martin were doing this on echo plexes yeah kind of sound, years sound ago. stuff yeah yeah that's true you know, i mean I, I, he I did like was solid just... is it solid air that he was using it a lot on or is it before that or Just after. before that, you know, there's a lot of stuff where he used to do that kind of slapping and, um, you know, plectrum. He, he used to kind of finger pick, very influenced by Joan Byers and stuff, and then he put that into the echoplex. And 
just jam around with it for hours, most of it in a probably drink-fueled session, which uh, had a tendency to go on for a little while. But yeah. it was all really brilliant. I just like that kind of constant interaction with the groove. But I suppose being of a drum bent, I like that whole rhythmic aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the trick, I mean, the, the, the thing that Shlomo did, which perhaps the others didn't, weren't quite as able to, is he, it was very, very different throughout the life of the tune. You know, it wasn't like a two bar loop and a two bar loop. You know, it, it actually yeah. was, it, it was like a journey through a whole piece, which was. And changes. You know, that's what kind of killed me. It was like, oh, blimey, there's, it went somewhere. It didn't just kind of mm. meander for a long time. Impressed. Very impressed. Mm. I'm quite tempted to get one mm-hmm. just for a crack. Well, there's the RC30, which we did a. If you check out, if you look, check our site for Dub Effects, he did some reviews. Um, oh, okay. It seems to me that they're going to have, they're going to incorporate some kind of uh, real time warping, like uh, Ableton style warping or whatever you want to call it. You know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Into these things because a lot of these performances are really kind of like very loose rhythmically, and that would put them. That would like rein them in in the first repeat, so that the performances ah. would end up sounding far more polished. And I can't understand a reason why they haven't done it already. They, quite frankly. they have, they kind of have. I've got a Digitech Jamman looper, which uh, okay. which can which will kind of quantize the loop. And then once you've actually created a loop, you can actually then sort of um, it, it's got like a tap. It's like a dual pedal, and you tap one of the pedals, and you can tap it into any tempo. So it will sort of time stretch the loop into any tempo. Uh, so it's sort of is. I know it's not exactly what you're saying, but um, well, I want it to happen on input, and I want you to be able to switch it in and out in real time. Oh, so see. that mm. on input, I could see and what it would have to do. Have... You'd have to have the you'd have to have the first loop round, and then it would go right, cut it into sixteenths, and grab the transients and try and move them all into the right place. I mean, that's the only way I could. Mm. See. It would almost be like real time Rex file con- construction, oh, and then me- and then it's and then exactly, mix down. It's exactly what, what Ableton mean. does now. It's exactly what Ableton yeah. does now. Well, the, the Ableton in version eight brought out the looper, didn't they, as a kind of as as an effect, um, which uh, which right. is quite fun actually. I don't know if, if you've. Uh, I've seen some good demos of it. I mean, again, it's tied to yeah. tied to tempo anyway, so it's easier for it to work it all out. Well, what's really nice with the Ableton looper is is that if the very first loop you do, if if it's the first thing you do in a brand new fresh project, uh, it'll set the. Ableton's sort of tempo to your first loop, so whatever ah, you do, that's really handy. What a good idea! Yeah, well, yeah. And, so, and, and if you tapped in the four beats while you were playing the thing that you wanted quantized, and then hit the loop button on the fifth beat, it every piece of information it needs is there. Well, there you go, uh, Rich. I th- I see a uh, a bright future in product development. Wouldn't it be wouldn't wouldn't it be yeah. uh, sort of slightly uh, ironic that uh, you you would shine in the construction of looping programs that people who are beatboxing would end up using in ad, ad nauseum <laughs> and infinitum, and t- and making them sound better in the process, yeah. <laughs> more of mm-hmm. the, the acceptable face of beatboxing. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, um, no interesting topic and a good, a good, a great idea by Roland, and and it looks like they had a lot of fun putting these things on. And they, like I say, they did the whole thing uh, internationally, and uh, I, I think you know I'd like to see what they're going to do for 2011. I'd, I'd like keep an eye on that, on that because obviously, the beauty of it is there's people who uh, can join in and kind of get a, you know get some recognition with just a simple kind of couple of hundred bucks pedal and a microphone. You know, it's quite quite impressive really i guess you probably need youtube accessibility i think it's all done via youtube i'm not entirely sure but uh, uh i guess that was yeah so that was the 2010
European Championships held in January. So I'm guessing they're starting, must be starting the new competition sometime in the not too distant future. But yeah, go to bossloop.com to check it out. Like, um, I'm guessing we're probably running a bit late for the uh, what could possibly go wrong deep drilling super volcano topic, which was, I must confess, was completely off topic. But <laughs> but uh, I, I was hoping maybe maybe we can come back to that next week um, with the with the idea of you know similar ridiculous ideas, but in the field of music and audio. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that for this week but I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us I think the stream has actually worked and held up the the chat rooms work nobody spammed it um, the uh, the video stream seems to be working really well nothing's broken here so all, all together a thumbs up uh, maybe next week I'll figure out a way to um, record it so that it can then be put somewhere if anybody wants to uh, to host it or whatever but uh, yeah I think this this could be the answer so anyway, thank you very much to everybody in the chat room. Uh, thanks to uh, CKProd-Oss, who has just gone to bed because it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and obviously, um, I hope if, he, if he's in Australia, that um, anybody over there is not in the path of the oncoming cyclone, which looks like it's heading Qu- Queensland way any time now. But uh, anyway, so thank you very much to all in the chat room. Remember, folks, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4 p.m. UK times when you can see us. Next week, uh, we do hope to have uh, a guest in the form of uh, Michelle... Uh, Moog Kusa, who is obviously Bob Moog's daughter and is uh, going to talk to us about the Bob Moog Foundation and the Moogseum and all of those good things. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think we may have Tara Bush because she kind of set that one up. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, but anyway, thanks back to my guest this week. Uh, we'll start further away with Rich Hilton. Thank you very much for joining us, Rich. I appreciate your, uh, your time with us. I'm guessing you're probably, if you're snowed in, um, then um, hopefully we're not taking up too much of your valuable time. Not at all, and I always enjoy it. Uh, oh. No, we're iced in today, and uh, in. at some point we'll get out there with the rock salt and try to get it all cleared. Yeah. Well, um, and we'd love to hear what the uh, how the blue ball sounds, or the what was it called again? The uh, it is the blue. Oh, it's the eyeball. Eyeball. It's the blue, right. mi- blue microphone. Blue eyeball. eyeball. Okay. It's a really neat little product. And uh, next week we can also talk a little bit about Stutter Edit, which I've downloaded and started using, and it's really quite amazing. Yes, mm-hmm. I've just I've got it here as well. I was trying to figure out a way to um, route it through my voice so I could uh, surprise you all with something uh, creative. Oh, it's, it's easy to do. Well, <laughs> not when your machine is also doing Skype and all the other things that it's got to do. It's it would affect the the timing of the. And my voice would probably have quite severe latency on it just because I'd have to run it through, you know, what I mean, that stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you very much, Rich Hilton, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And uh, again, best wishes to Niall Rogers and uh, and all, all his family and, and friends and associates. Yeah, thanks. And uh, coming back this way, I will say thank you also to Dave Spears of g4software.com. Hope you're uh, perked up a bit. Cup of coffee, bottle of Coke, salt and vinegar crisps, always good. Oh, yes. I've got new steak and ale flavour crisps, actually. Really? <laughs> I yes. think, think it's the salt and the vinegar that do it for me. It's the sort of waking up the taste buds. In fact, if I may make a suggestion, you get the uh, the Chardonnay vinegar and, ch- uh, and, um, and, and salt from the co-op are absolutely... They're like drinking a bottle of vinegar. If, <laughs> so they really are very potent, and uh, they certainly wake the taste buds up. Followed by, perhaps, um, Heinz tomato soup. I don't know. No. All right. Well, anyway, I'll leave you to it. But <laughs> if you're party, then you're bound to pay the price at some point. But I'm glad you, st- you managed to be with us. G4Software.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And also, Gaz, thank you. Uh, thank you for your audio contributions. And uh, that's 
especially the uh, the Sonus B2M uh, report. That was really interesting, and I hope that you can incorporate it into your live set. Just out of interest, when's this gig happening? That made pe- if people in Bristol area at the time might be able to see you using it in anger. Oh, uh, I think is it something like the seventeenth? Uh, oh, I'd have to check. I'm afraid. Seventeenth. Um, oh, now I put you on the spot. Something. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't actually told them that I'm going to performing it yet. I was ah, a surprise. Uh, <laughs> all right, yeah. Well, your secret's uh, safe with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, there's a there's a venue in Bristol called the Cube. It's a cinema. It's brilliant. It's like a music venue as well, and they do. Uh, uh, they do events there every so often. They do a tribute to a particular act. The last one they did was fantastic. It was a tribute to um, Ennio Morricone. So you had loads of different acts who came in wow. and played uh, Ennio Morricone tunes. And uh, so this time it's going to be uh, Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Lots of chords then, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it should be quite fun. I, but I quite fancy just doing something. I think a lot of people will probably be doing sort of like wistful sort of acoustic-based stuff. I was just going to try and do something uh, rotten and filthy, really. <laughs> Brilliant. Wake everybody up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a punk version of uh, Yellow Taxi. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I haven't decided which tune yet. But, yeah, I was going to try and do it as a solo bass piece as well. Which oh, is okay. Odd. Well, you need a looper. anyway well thanks very much Gaz Um, that's songsurgeon.co.uk thank you also again to our sponsors of the show and uh, we wish Peter Peck well in his new job Uh, yamahadownload.com and yamahaproaudio.com for all of the the mix of stuff don't forget to check them out that was Sonic Talk number 100 no not 100 what am I talking about 205 for goodness sake it's a wrap (laughs) 